you uh we began uh so this is our third part look at the topic of sin okay uh our plan is probably going to be six or seven uh sessions but that's uh according to the lord's will you guys know me sometimes it's long winded okay with that so the first session we looked at the origin of sin is with the fall and also the result of sin okay in corrupting man okay so then last week we looked at the old testament term for sins Okay, we looked at the Old Testament word for sins. We've looked at three Old Testament terms. And by the way, the reason why we're looking at these is so that we will be able to further understand the richness of what God's word describes as things that are what? Sinful, okay? So today we're going to be looking at three more words, okay? Three more words. Let me say this real quick. Um, there's more than, uh, so last week was three. This week is going to be, Lord willing, three. So a total of how many words? Six, six okay? Um, there's actually more than six words for sins, okay? There's actually more than six words for sin. In fact, um, I mean, there's so many w- uh, more, okay? But then for the sake of time, we're going to be only looking uh, Old Testament last week and this week. And then next week, okay? Uh, next week, we're going to be looking at New Testament terms for sin. I'm thinking about one week, but then I'm, as I'm looking, there's so many words. I'm thinking about also as well two weeks. And then eventually, I also want to look at how um, the Old Testament teaching about how, and even I think there's an idea even in the New Testament of whatever we like as an idol, God gives it up. We become like that sin mm-hmm. as a punishment. Okay? And in Romans 1, it's going to describe that as what? A giving over theme. Okay? And then the other part we also want to see is also the theme of hardening heart also as well. Okay? Uh, maybe also the idea of total depravity, but we'll see. Okay? But nevertheless, I think the idea is for me, why I really want to go over this is to see the richness of the term mm-hmm. of what the Bible describes. By the way, even last week, if you guys were, some of you guys were here, when we see the words have um, analogy, I think it's very easy seeing that. It's actually in any culture you can explain uh, sin just because of the richness of the term and the original meaning. Okay? So now we're going to be looking at uh, Old Testament terms. So uh, if you look at the purpose, we're going to see how many uh, more Hebrew words, Old Testament words? Three more, right? Okay? So we understand more biblically what sin is and what God does with sin. Okay, let me preface this again like last week. Um, I am not good with Hebrew. Okay? I'm the only guy that in my Hebrew classes that I ever had and Greek, that for MDiv, lower division, or finishing up the upper division for the Master Divinity, and also in my second Masters, that every time when we're in class, I have to read things out loud, people laugh. Maybe it's because I'm, I don't have the confidence and it sounds English when I Is speak. Is the Hebrew word okay. Av-Iva? Mm-hmm. Ava. Yeah. Okay. So we're going to look at three Hebrew terms, okay? Uh, the first one is Ava. And by the way, each one of these is so that we can see sin. And I want to actually see that it's hopefully helpful even when we evangelize, okay? Mm. Hopefully it's helpful even to ex- evangelize. When people say, uh, you know, like explaining an analogy for sin, for your evangelistic opportunities, okay? Uh, do you guys remember uh, some of the words, the meaning of the Hebrew words from last week? Do you guys remember? Anyone remember? Uh, some of it refers to crossing, right? A border, mm. which is like transgression into what a sinful land, right? Mm. Uh, the term meaning. You guys remember any other meaning of the terms? Uh, also, as well, it's okay. We'll go on uh, for this week. Okay. So the first one is ava. Okay, ava. Okay. Uh, we're gonna ask the first question: Is what does this word mean outside of its moral use? Okay. Mm. And as we see, it's used outside its moral use. This helps to understand how it's used in a moral context in reference to sin, okay? Now, for its non-moral use of this term, turn with me real quick to Isaiah 24, verse 1, okay? Isaiah 24, verses 1, if we could, you guys can open this. Uh, We're going to go maybe counterclockwise, okay? Uh, Isaiah 24, verses 1. 
could you read, uh, Abigail, could you, uh, Rebecca, could you read Isaiah 24, verses 1? Behold, the Lord makes the earth empty and it makes it waste, distorts its surface, mm. and scatters abroad its inhabitants. Okay, yeah. So here in this verse here, okay, um, this is where the Hebrew verb awa is used in reference to outside of something of sin, okay? What is going on in Isaiah 24 verse 1? Anyone in their own word? What is God doing here? What is God doing? It's kind of a parallel of Matthew 24 yeah. uh-huh. about the end of the age. Yeah, about the end of the age and God's judgment, right? Right. Upon the earth, discipline and punishment, okay? And here, how does God discipline the world? According to Isaiah 24, verses 1, how does God discipline the world? He devastates. Yeah. His punishment is He devastates. So that's one D word, but there's a second D word that's mentioned here. What is that second word? Distorts. Distorts, okay. So this verb here, in its non-moral use, has the idea of distorting, okay? Mm-hmm. It has the idea of distorting, okay? So then I think its meaning, when we go over, thank you, Josh, for being the doorman, okay? In its meaning of this verb, okay? Caleb. How are you doing, Caleb? Okay. So the meaning of this verb actually has the idea of twisting, bending, and distorting something, okay? It's, uh, it has the idea of what? Twisting, distorting, bending, and distorting something. So this is what this Hebrew word means, okay? I think even in English, we have the idea of, of saying what? When someone is morally twisted, we say what? Hey, he's perverted, right? Or he's kind of twisted, or he's kind of sick, and he's kind of twisted in his what? Mind, that kind of thing, okay? But the verb basic idea has the idea of twisting, okay? In fact, let's turn also as well with me to Psalm 38, verse 6, okay? Psalm 38, verse 6. Psalm 38, verse 6. And then when we turn there, Nancy, again, I'm just going to look at just another non-moral use of this term, okay? Psalm 38, verse 6. Again, Psalm 38, verse Okay. I am troubled. I am bowed down greatly. I go mourning all the day long. Okay. Yeah. So in this context, this is uh, David, right? He uh, he's not feeling that well. Okay. He describes himself as he's wounded, right? Because of his sinful folly. And in verses 6, he also says, hey, he's bent over. Like, he's physically being affected by the weight of his sin, okay? And when he's describing his pain, it's almost as if he's describing a stomachache, right? He's bent over and greatly bowed down. Uh, the front word here, greatly bowed down, is actually the same idea, I think, in Hebrew. is the idea of twisted, okay? So he's not just bowing down out of worship. It's because what he's in pain. So he's disjointed and he's bent down in all kinds of ways, weird ways and in, in shapes. Because why? He has a bad stomach or he's feeling overweight. It's affecting him physically. Mm. Right? It's physically distorting him, if you will. Okay? So in light of these, what the physical meaning of the term is, okay? in light of the physical meaning of the ter- term is, spiritually, therefore, the verb shows the idea that to go against God means that we are what? Morally crooked and ethically perverted. Okay? Mm. So I think this actually shows the nature of sin. Uh, by the way, right? we often think of sin as just something that we do outside of us. But this actually shows the inside nature of sin. That it's actually something about nature. Is that our nature is what? Morally twisted. Okay? Morally dis- twisted. Okay? 
Also, I do want to say, this term sometimes can be ambivalent in referring to either the act of sin or the penalty of sin, okay? Um, so there's verses where, okay, because of your sin, you will be what? Twisted. Remember what we saw, Isaiah 24, verse 1? Because of people's sin, things will become tw- distorted by who? By God, as a punitive or punishment sense, okay? So in light of the fact that sometimes it seems to blur the line, I think it should be the fact that we should associate what God's punishment and also our moral perversion is there are a close what association, okay? There's a close association. Because why? Today's world, we sometimes think, right, we see TV, people could do all kinds of sin, but in the way the world tells a story is people could do sin and get away with it, right? But in actually in God's economy of things, when we do when we perform sin, will there be negative consequence for our sin, whether as a discipline from God to the believers or as punishment? Will there be th- such thing as a uh, negative consequence for sin? Yes or no? Sure. Yes, there is. Okay. So in light of this, uh, let's now look at uh, moral use of this term. Okay. Now in a moral context, turn with me to uh, Proverbs 12, verse 8. Okay. Proverbs 12, verse 8. Okay, Proverbs 12, verse 8. Okay, and then uh, Abigail, would you be able to read Proverbs 12, verse 8? Again, Proverbs 12, verse 8. Commended according to his wisdom, but he who is of a is of. Is of. But if he no, but he who is of he who is of a perverse perverse heart will be despised. Okay, thank you so much. Okay, uh, by the way, some of your version will probably say instead of heart, perverse heart. It says what perverse. Mine, right? Does, your, does any of your versions say mine? Okay. Yeah. Um, there shouldn't be no big deal with that because for the, for uh, by the way, the view of the heart is different in every culture. Okay. Mm. For the, did you guys know that for the Egyptian, they thought the brain, they didn't think much of the brain. They thought the brain's function of thinking is actually in the heart. Okay. Mm. So for them, they when they did mummy, they actually threw away what, the brain. Okay. They just got it all out, you know, with hooks through the nose and get everything out and boom, that's it, okay? Mm. Whereas in the sense of heart, they saw it's valuable, which we'll see in a few weeks mm. from now. God's going to use that theme in Exodus to talk about hardening heart, mm. and He's going to flip their understanding uh, totally with that, okay? But here, when it says heart, it's actually the center of a person's thought life, the inner thought life, okay? In the Hebrew use of the term. And notice there's a contrast, okay? It mentioned, when you see the word perverse, this is the same Hebrew verb here, okay? The word idea, remember the idea of twisted? But notice here it's actually referring to what? Sinfulness, okay? There's a contrast because, we know this because the, the man who's perverse is contrasted with what? The man who's wise, who's actually spiritually, morally, right? God-fearing kind of wisdom, okay? What would happen to the man that has God-fearing uh, wisdom? According to verses 8, the consequence, the first line. What's the consequences of, uh, of living as a person with godly wisdom? You'll be, be commended, okay? But then if a man who is perverse mind, they will be what? Despised. Despised, okay? Which goes against our age because sometimes people think it's... Uh, I think it's an unfortunate day when you see a lot of comedians. The way they get cheap laughs is what? Mentioning sin, yeah, okay? Purposely, yeah, purposely and it's really low crass. 
uh, thing. But I think those that are most funniest is those that are what? Like Ben Chung standard of what? Puns and, and uh, wit. wit. <laughs> also, also, you're like, what? <laughs> okay. With that, okay? I'm just thinking about this retreat with all the mistakes and all that stuff. The stakes. Ah, okay. mistakes. There was no mistakes, okay? Except for those that didn't show, okay? Right, and uh, so going back on with that, uh, oh, no, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. With that, okay? <laughs> so, uh, uh, so we see here um, the basic meaning of the term, okay, is physically twisted and bent, okay? Um, and so we see that this is one, uh, and there's many other, okay? We'll just look at one more, okay? Turn to Psalm 106, verse 6. Okay, Psalms 106, verse 6. Uh, who's the last one? Is uh, Josh, could you read yeah. Psalms 106, chapter 106, verse 6? Psalms 106, verse 6, okay? Psalms 106, verse 6. We have sinned like our fathers, we have committed iniquities, we have behaved wickedly. Okay. In this word, at this verse, there's actually more than one word for sin. What are some of those words for sin that is mentioned? Iniquity. Iniquity. Anything else? Behaving wickedly, right? Okay. So, uh, in all these terms, notice, by the way, it, we know it, the term iniquity is that moral perversion term, the one that we're looking at. But it's what? Paired along as synonymous with other words for <coughs> sin. Okay, so here we see uh, again, this is the confession is that we is not just ourselves are wicked, but even what past generation. Okay, mm-hmm. ours encourage those that are younger. They say, oh, you know what, my parents were really bad, and the previous generations were really bad. Then I often will tell them, remind them, guess what, you will be really bad. Okay, your parents would also, your kids will also point it out. You're really, really bad. Okay. So be slow with that, okay, uh, of self-righteousness, okay, with that. Okay, so as application, we should realize that there is something that is twisted. Uh-huh. We should realize that there is something twisted or wrong when we sin, okay? It's not proper, and some, uh, I know even when I evangelize, sometimes I say, oh, it's human nature to sin. I said that's a normal, healthy thing. But Scripture makes it very clear, there's something wrong. Just like we saw earlier that Psalm 38, verse 6, when David is sick, you know, he's over, his body is physically distorted, right? Mm. We say there's something wrong. And the same analogy is drawing that, okay? Mm. It's drawing that. So I think this is where, I think when you evangelize, there's a place for using medical analogy for the gospel, right? Hey, there's something wrong or what? Twisted, okay? I'm going to confess something. I'm a very, very messy writer. You guys ever see my hand signature? It is really, really... Bad, okay. Uh, as a little kid, I could never draw a straight line. Some of you guys, are, like in taking geometry class, right? You draw a straight line just by that. I could never <laughs> do that. Maybe this is how twisted I am. I just go and whatever reason, it just goes off, okay? Mm-hmm. So I can never draw a straight line, okay? So yet we see the same analogy. That's like us, right? When we draw after a certain time, we would not be what? Uh, straight. By the way, did you guys know they've actually done experiments before? They blindfolded people. To, and tell them to walk straight. Do we walk straight over a long time? No. Okay. If you put someone in the middle of the desert, do you know what happens when you blindfold someone and you tell them to walk straight? They think mentally they're walking straight, but you know what end up they end up doing? Circles. You guys ever seen this? They walk in circles. It is the most strangest yeah. thing. We walk in circle. Okay. We don't walk straight. Okay. So I think that's an analogy too that we are what 
uh, our nature, we are much more twisted than much more mm. we realize, okay? Uh, so that's the first application. We need to re realize there's something twisted or wrong with us when we sin. Second application, we should be warned that sin brings about consequences sin. If we see this term, remember what we mentioned earlier, what I've quoted and also footnoted, that this term is often associated also as well with punishment. It's not just only we are twisted and therefore we are punished, but also even God's punishment for us is there's a sense of irony of God using the term twisted, just like we mm -hmm. saw earlier, remember? Isaiah 24 verse 1, because of our sin, He twists up what? The land mm -hmm. as our punishment also as well, okay? Mm. You guys ever had a long string and then somehow you guys, or, or maybe you, you guys have an earpiece? How many of you guys' earpiece always get all twisted up? Anyone? Or most of you guys take really good care of your earpiece? Okay, maybe this is just my negligent and care, right? Uh, how many earpieces I go through a year? <laughs> a lot, okay? Because I close the door, I sh you know, on it, I drop it, I run over it, I step over it, right? Um, I have it, and then I'm uh, walking somewhere in Huntington, you know, guarding a cat chop on some flower with a rose and then rips it, all kinds of things, okay? And the worst to me is when it's all what, bundled up and it's all what, twisted, it's like, oh, it's so hard, okay? And guess what? That's like the analogy of what we are like, morally also as well, okay? Uh, so, let's go on now to the second term. The second word, okay, is ma'a, okay? Ma'a, okay? We're going to see how it's used outside of talking of moral context. Turn with me now, or actually not moral context, in reference to God, okay? Wrong towards God. We're going to see outside of that to see what does this term mean. I think this term, no matter what, always it means it's a moral sense of something wrong, okay? But now it's not looking at how we wrong God, but let's see its use outside of that. Turn with me to Numbers chapter 5, verse 12, okay? Number five, chap Numbers chapter 5, verse 12. Where do we stop at? Uh, Caleb is next, right? Okay, Numbers chapter 5, verse 12. Speak to the sons of Israel and say to them, If any man's wife goes astray and is unfaithful to him. Okay, we'll stop there, okay? Numbers 5 is specific law stipulations of case laws of saying, Okay, what if someone uh, is unfaithful? That is, they've committed the sin of what? Adultery, okay? The Hebrew word that we're looking at for our second word, again, now this is, we're looking at our second term. The Hebrew term ma'al, okay, is actually appears here. And it's a word that is translated in our English. It's a verb that is translated as is unfaithful, okay? Uh, is unfaithful. So I think when you look at its usage, uh, apart from talking about sinning directly towards God, it has the idea of referring to marriage infidelity, okay? Marriage infidelity, is that a bad thing? Yes. Yeah, okay. You do non believers even have a general idea that hey marriage people in marriage should be faithful. Yes. Yes, okay. Uh with that, okay. Now I know some people are sinful, they say, Oh, well, I'm never gonna marry because I can't be faithful, okay? But there's still this idea uh with that, right? Mm -hmm. That is a very heinous sin because you're breaking the covenant what vow with not only with God but with your spouse, okay? So this meaning then, in terms of the meaning, has the idea of spiritual Infidelity, okay? When it comes to the idea of talking about sin, as the idea of what? Spiritual, what? Infidelity, okay? Just as marriage, what makes, uh, so the Bible makes a difference between adultery and fornication. Do you guys know the difference? Okay, there's a covenant. You want to unpack that a little bit, Nancy? Uh, if you're married to someone, 
is a covenant between you and that person. Yeah. Mm-hmm. If I mean both are sinful a lot, yeah. but it's yeah. worse because it's a covenant that you made before the Lord. Yeah. Versus the other one, which is still sinful, but it's without that covenant. Yeah. Good. Okay. Uh, so adultery and fornication, you guys all know there's a difference, right? Let me ask you this question. In the Old Testament, which one has a greater penalty? Adultery or fornication? Adultery. Adultery, okay. Fornication and adultery, you can say that physical act is the same. The same physical kind of transgression. But the difference is what? One involves at least one of the party is what? Mary. Right. Okay. So what is the penalty in the Old Testament for fornication? Well, actually, well, the, the one that we probably know. What is the uh, pe- Old Testament penalty for adultery? Death. Death, okay. Fornication, does it always lead to death? No, no right? Sometimes it's okay. There's seduction, and maybe the man just need to be responsible and what? Be married to that woman, okay? And, but also the father has the right to say, no, that is what? Wrong. That is uh, uh, with that, okay? So there is a difference with that. Of, of course, some fornication does... Uh, is a death capital pen- penalty. Um, I don't know if you could call it fornication, but the case of rape, right? Where, where that case, when it's unmarried, then in, in those instances, in that, that guess what? That person deserved, the perpetrator deserved what? The death penalty too. But you see there's a difference. Of why is one has a greater penalty is because there's a commitment. There's a, a, a compact that's been given of loyalty. You're pledging loyalty. Um, you're making a promise. Not just a promise, but a, something above a promise. Right? Like little kids always say what? Uh, when they, little kids, what do they say? Cross my heart, hope to, hope to die. Okay? But by the way, the, co- yeah, the covenant originally was the idea, like if you guys see the actual original context, you see that in Genesis. Do you guys remember Abraham? Before he was Abraham, God made a covenant. And remember, there was a, he made him fall asleep. And usually back then is, in the ancient Near East, two people walk besides a, a cross where there's a fire cooking meat. And then they rip the meat in half and say, hey, if you break this, you should be what? You should be ripped in half. Okay? Mm-hmm. That's their version of cross your heart, hope to die kind of thing if you break that. Okay? So, okay? So, in light of all this, uh, we see also as well its moral use. Okay? Uh, so, likewise, I think also we also are in a covenant. Okay? Uh, the Old Testament time, the Jews were what kind of covenant that they had with God? What is that covenant called? Mo, what? The law or Mo? Mosaic, okay? From Moses, okay? Are we under Mosaic covenant? No. We are under, but we're still under a covenant. What's that new, what's that covenant called? Messianic covenant? Uh, okay, yeah. It is, the Messiah is a key component of that. So there's an Adamic covenant, there's a Mosaic covenant, and there's the, like, Mess- yeah, messianic know? covenant or and then there's the e-dominic covenant or like some other kind of covenant <laughs> okay and then there's like the judas covenant mm, i think you read too much comic book if you say judas covenant okay mm. but uh so yeah there is different covenant there's no messianic covenant by the way different uh covenants presuppose the messiah it's pointing towards oh. the messiah if you guys are interested lighthouse we did this a few years ago when we looked at end times probably almost eight years ago now uh, we looked at slowly walking from Noah's covenant to uh, each one, Abrahamic, and each one adds more detail to the Messiah. But all of us are in the what covenant? S- anyone else besides Josh? Three letter. New covenant. New covenant, okay? We are under new covenant, okay? Uh, when we take up the Lord's Supper, it's what? Elements of the? New covenant. New covenant, okay? 
So we are still in the covenant. <coughs> Therefore, in this sin, in describing, it's just describing the same thing as we're unfaithful to who? To God. I like to say this from time to time. But God never promised us that we will be married one day. Okay? Uh, in terms of this side of eternity. But every believer will all be married one day in heaven. Maybe not to your current spouse, but to what? The, we, are, we will become the bride of who? Christ, okay? And so in that sense, there is that perpetual thing. With that, that shows as the imagery of our relationship with God. So when we break that covenant, therefore this is why the term is used to show what? How we've transgressed, how we're spiritually in, uh, committing infidelity against God, okay? Let's look at it in reference to God. Turn with me to Ezra 10.10. 10. Ezra 10.10, 10. when we turn over there. Ezra 10.10. 10. Ezra 10.10. 10. Yeah. In Ezra the priest would, uh, priest stood up and said to them, You have been unfaithful and married foreign wives, adding to the guilt of Israel. Yeah. So here in this term, uh, in the context, okay, uh, is... Do you guys remember the Jews were exiled because of their what? Sin. What is that captivity called? Babylonian captivity, okay? Right. Then under 70 years, God prophesied in Jeremiah 29 and 30 that within 70 years, there'll be some remnant that return. Actually, if you look at the timeline, I think God is gracious. He even allowed it a little before 70 years and already some of the exile returned. But just because they returned, does that mean they're faithful? No. Some committed sin of what? Marrying what? Pagan wives, uh, foreign women who, who seek after what? Idols and foreign gods, okay? So in Ezra 10.10, 10, Ezra is rebuking the returning Jews who sin against God by marrying, as you see here, foreign wives, okay? When the verse here says you have been unfaithful, that uh, word unfaithful is the same one as we're, the verb we're talking about here, the word ma'ah, okay? Uh, so you see, notice, and I think there's also a richness because, right, uh, it's in the context talking about marriage, Right? They marry the wrong individuals. And I think it's very appropriate to use this term for sin because it's saying, hey, likewise, those who marry unbelievers are also what? Unfaithful towards God. Okay? Right. Look with me also in Ezra 10.2. Uh, Ezra 10.2. Uh, Mr. Burton, would you be able to read Ezra 10.2? Sure. Shekinah, the son of Jael, one of the sons of Elam said to son of Jehu, one of the sons of Elam, said to Ezra, We have been unfaithful to our God and have married foreign women from the peoples of the land, yet now there is hope mm. okay. uh, for Israel in spite of this. Okay, yeah, thank you, Mr. Burn. This is the same verb that appears here, the word unfaithful, okay? Mm. That we've been unfaithful here now, it's not towards others, but it's specifically towards who? God, okay? So, in its normal usage, it's about what? Unfaithfulness in vertical human relationship, in the context of marriage. But here it's used what? Now, <coughs> horizontal, okay? Mm. But now used vertically, it's reference to God, because we also have a covenant with God, okay? Or God has a covenant with believers, Okay, also as well. Let's also look at another one. I think this is also often used also as well to sin to describe how heinous or how bad is the sin of pursuing idolatry. Okay, idols worship. Okay, let's turn to First Chronicles chapter five verse twenty-five. Um, ben Chung, would you be able to read First Chronicles chapter five verse twenty-five? 
But they acted treacherously against the God, against the God of their fathers, and played the harlot after the gods of the people of the land, whom God has destroyed before them. Mm. Okay, so in context of First Chronicles, you would know that in I think in the first eleven chapters, what is going on here? It's all Geneal. genealogies. Okay, or uh, you know, it's, it's describing from actually from Adam, First Chron- uh, Chronicles one one onward. Okay. Mm. And also it breaks down even like by different tribes, okay? So it's in this context, while it's going on, it also gives us, what, a quick shot of history, a quick blurb. And in this verse, in the context, it's actually talking about the sons of the half-tribe of Manasseh, okay? We know this because of verse 23 in this context. And yet this verb, when it's talking about them, they describe that they have sin. What is the sin they committed? Anyone? What is the sin they committed? First Chronicles five twenty five. What is the sin they commit? Playing the harlot with false mm. gods. Or yeah. Okay. It's basically seeking idols, right. uh, false gods, pagan uh, uh, religion. Okay. And yet it's compared as what? There's almost uh, again using the analogy of marriage. Okay. Mm. It's saying, hey, you are if you do so, you're like playing the harlot. Okay. Mm. And then you see the verb here where it says they act treacherously. Okay. All your versions say act treacherously. Uh, Nancy, does yours say act treacherously? First Chronicles five twenty five. The first part. But they they were unfaithful. Okay, good. Okay, mm-hmm. act treacherously or they were unfaithful. This is the same Hebrew verb ma'al. Okay, so notice here there's association of idolatry is in some sense spiritual adultery. Okay, I know they kind of rhyme, but let's say this together. Idolatry is spiritual adultery. Okay. By the way, is idolatry something that only the Old Testament uh, saints were tempted with, or is idolatry something that even New Testament is a New Testament reality of temptation? What do you guys think? It is still okay because in New Testament described greed as what? Also idolatry. Okay. If you read first, uh, actually, let's turn there. First John chapter five verse. Uh, I want to say twenty one. First okay. John 5.21 And we turn there Short verse uh, Noel, if you'll be able to read or Did Ben read already? Yes, yes. right Did you already read Ben? Little children, okay. guard yourselves from idols Yeah, okay New Testament, reality, okay uh, You might say, wait who, who, who They still have idolatry It's talking about clearly to believers To watch out for sin But here's the reality that what? Idolatry is more than just what? The little Buddha that you see when you go to a Thai food restaurant, right? Uh, it's actually anything that is above what? God. Okay, sets itself up, you set up above God, okay? So idolatry is spiritual adultery, and in light of this, that's why this phrase is used, okay? So let's go back. Um, uh, if you guys following the outline, uh, there's other terms used. We're not going to look at the other one, but I've listed But I want to talk about application. I want to talk about application for the second verb. Okay, if you know that every time we sin, it is spiritual adultery, spiritual unfaithfulness to God. What does this mean as application? So, point number one: knowing the term to describe this term to describe our sinfulness, we shouldn't see sin as just what small mistakes, but we should see the sinfulness of what sin. Okay, do you get what I'm trying to say here? Is sometimes when we sin, do we often see sin as no big deal, right? 
We, we say, sure. like, politician would say, oh, I made a mistake, right? Uh, or I just, uh, I did a boo-boo, or I, I did an error. But when you understand this term being used to describe sin as spiritual infidelity, and we know infidelity in marriages is a bad and wicked thing, right? This definitely shows, what? The sinfulness of sin, okay? Yeah. This is why I think it's important to know these terms, because when we evangelize, right? We want to point this out, why it's, it's a bad thing, okay? Uh, you know, I think even the world gets upset when someone just, what? Um, I know there were some people that I knew that was upset with our old governor, Arnold what? Okay. Was he a faithful man in his marriage? No. No, okay. And yet, could he have the money to pay out uh, settlements? Yeah. Sure. But if someone just say, oh, I could do whatever I want and I have all the money to pay out, we would all still say there's still something really, really wrong that can't be counted by sheer money and monetary mm. and financial what? Uh, uh, compensation, right? Mm. So in the same way, when you bring this up, is to show there's a sinfulness of sin. There's a relationship that has been broken mm. against God, okay? So I think, by the way, the way to be relevant in any culture, a lot of culture has what? Marriage, okay? So every culture, even though the marriage might be different in some culture, you can marry up to three wives in certain place in the Middle East. I'm not saying this, right? But in certain culture, they do things differently. There's arranged marriage. But no matter what, every culture has marriage, true or not. Yes. Coming from God. So therefore, you can use this analogy to say, hey, look, I noticed in your natural realm of your society, there is what? Mar- uh, marriage and family. And therefore, you can draw that as an analogy. When you sin, you're doing the same thing. You want to illustrate the, what the sinfulness of sin. Notice, by the way, the way you could be relevant, it contextual, or do contextualized evangelism, is not to study only the culture, but also go deeper to the Bible to find the original what? Term. As a way to build a bridge, a natural bridge, to what? All culture to evangelize. Do you guys see how beautiful the Bible is? Why it's worth studying? So that that way you could be the missionary. So you need to believe for evangelism. Sometimes I think uh, in American Christianity or evangelicals, we think, oh, that verse, that God's word is what? Useful for all things, except for evangelism. That we need to be cool, hipster, and our pastors need to wear, uh, what? Uh, preach from a bar stool with three-legged stool and, and wear like tight jeans more tighter than, what? Uh, I don't know. Uh, whatever, okay? So in the same way, in, in the same, tighter than yoga pants, or whatever else, right? Sure. So in light of all this, we got to see, right? That in light of this, we need to go back to what? The Bible and see. We can draw a natural analogy to all cultures, okay? So second application question. When you look at Hosea, does it have the imagery of how bad sin is? Using marriage as an analogy, okay? While it doesn't use this term in Hosea 5, 7, and Hosea 6, 7 and following, Yet that's a beautiful imagery of just how wicked, and that's part of the old paradox. It shows just how ugly the reality of what mm-hmm. sin is. The unfaithfulness of, of Hosea's wife, right, uh, is an analogy of Israel. It was also an analogy of what? People also as well. And at times even the church, unfortunately. Okay? Uh, third application question. In light of how serious this <coughs> sin is described here, do you grieve over your sin? Knowing how you personally wronged against a good and faithful and loyal God, okay? One of God's attributes is He is what? Faithful. That is, He keeps His promise, okay? How much more heinous is it that we wronged against Him when we are not loyal towards Him, okay? So we need to not just see as evangelists, we need to confess our God, uh, to God and not just say, Oh, dear God, sorry for this. It's no big deal. It's just a small mistake. But it's like, no, I've been unfaithful. I've strayed away from you, okay? Let's go to the third Hebrew term. Anyone want to try pronouncing that in your outline? The third Hebrew term? Yeah, the third Hebrew term. 
Pesha. Okay, Pesha. Okay. Uh, so in this term, okay, uh, we see. Uh, let's look at its in use in this term through wrongdoings to human, not towards God first, which is sin. But let's, let's see how it's used in terms of wrongdoing towards another human being. Turn with me to Numbers five twelve. Okay, Numbers five twelve. Uh, Noel, would you be able to read Numbers five twelve? Yeah. So here you see. Um, oh man, I think I used the same one. Okay, that was that was the previous one. Okay. Uh, turn with me to. Cut and paste. Yeah, I cut and paste it, and then I type over it because it is the same structure. It makes it faster. Turn with me to Exodus twenty-two verse nine. Okay, this is another verb. Uh, another verse that shows its use outside of talking about direct wrong against God, okay? Exodus 22, verse 9. Noel, would you be able to read that again? Exodus 22, verse 9. For every breach of trust, whether it is for ox, for donkey, for sheep, for clothing, or for any lost things about which one says, this is it. Okay, thank you so much. Okay, so in Exodus twenty-two verses nine, the verb that is translated if you uh, if we uh, for every breach of trust. Okay, so I think this verb here has the idea of breaking trust, but it's not breaking trust accidentally. Elsewhere, it's really the idea of rebellion. Okay, you're purposely doing something in breaking against a rule. Okay, whether you're a rebel of a cause or rebel without a cause, this is what it naturally means. In its regular usage outside of talking about God. This is how it's used horizontally, right? You're rebelling against somebody, okay? You have a contract, you have an agreement, yet you purposely what? Break it, okay? You're, you're purposely, intentionally doing this, okay? So this is another term for sin, okay? This is another term for sin. Now we're going to see this term used uh, elsewhere, okay? Uh, by the way, when we're looking at all these things with sin, uh, could it be very convicting? Sure. Could it also feel like, wow. I mean, just let's summarize the three terms we've looked at thus far. Sin is described as what? We're twisted. Okay? We're twisted. Twisted is not just only someone that's the most extreme sin around us. We often use that term. But it says, Scripture makes it clear. All of us is what? Twisted. Okay? That's the first term. The second term, what does it mean naturally? Again? Is what? Infidelity. Okay? So, but all these terms is emphasizing what? Our heavy... Culpability, our heavy responsibility. We are uh, going to be responsible for our sin. And now, when you look at this third term, with the term rebellion, okay, uh, it shows what that all of this is not just a small mistake that we pay a small fine for, right? Like, oh, we just parked here in the wrong place. But this is what purposeful, intentional, what doing something wrong. And yet, in light of all this, if someone purposely wrong against us, how would you feel? How do you feel you're in marriage and it turns out there was no faithfulness? Mm. You'll be very hurt. You'll be very hard to forgive, right? Mm. How about also as well, the other term also as well. Uh, the other term also as well with um, uh, being twisted, right? How many of us like to be around someone that's really twisted? No, we wouldn't want to. Right. We want to avoid them. All kinds of things. And yet, you know what? When it comes to all this, this is where we have grace. Would God for even forgive us? 
even if we're rebellious? Yeah. Using the same term for rebellion, let's see this term mentioned in the context of God's forgiveness, okay? Turn with me to Psalm 51, verse 1. Oh, actually, uh, okay. Psalm 32, I'm sorry, Psalm 32, verses 1. Psalm 32. How blessed be. It, uh, how blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered? Yeah. Okay. How blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity, yeah. and in whose spirit there is no deceit? Yeah. This psalm is an incredible psalm. Was that was that noise outside? Okay. Psalm uh, thirty-two verses one shows very clearly what that God forgives us. And by the way, this psalm is beautiful. It tells us what. God does want to forgive our sin. When you look at this first line, it says how blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven. This word transgression is this Hebrew word for rebellion. Okay? So purposeful rebellion. Guess what? God forgives it. Okay? And by the way, you guys see the word is covered? Whose sin is covered? There's two kinds of covering. Okay? Is there a bad kind of covering up of sin? Yes, okay, we often think about it, it's hiding it, right? Uh, but the, notice here, there's also, the, the scripture also use a good cover, okay? A good cover. I think the good cover for sin, actually that's where we get the word atonement. Do you guys know that? Okay. That term, we sometimes think these theological terms is like, oh, well, atonement. But what does it mean? Atonement basically is the same word here. Some of your versions said, whose sin is atoned. That is covered over. I think the analogy is, think about, like when you're fixing up the house, right? There's chip paint. And then you fix it up, you remove it, and then you cover over it. New what? Fresh paint. That is covering over. That's a good kind of covering over. So what's the difference between a bad covering over of sin and a good covering? Is one involves God. One runs away from God and is about our self-righteousness. The other one is what? About, no, we are sinful and we go to who? God. And God is the one who covers it with what? The blood of Christ. Okay? So this is one of the reasons why we want to go over these words of sin, not to be hellfire preaching with the series. By the way, I'm thankful you guys for coming over, right? Because I think most people don't are not really excited. It's like, oh, idea of sin. You know what? I'll sh- I'll skip out for the next few months here, right? But I think there is a richness because when we look at it, my purpose is not to be hellfire brimstone. There's a place for that, but it's also to see what just how gracious God is. Okay. How many of us will forgive when you know someone's purposely rebelling and purposely going out to hurt you? By the way, let's talk about in politics. How many country, how many empires like the idea of somebody rebelling? What do you guys think? No, okay. By the way, just in case we think America is all nice, there was a war in one-time American history, right? The South called it the War of Northern Aggression, okay? Or the War Between the States. Most of us call it the Civil War, okay? Um, if you actually look at the history at the time, I think it was a little bit iffy. Lincoln wasn't necessarily going to get rid of slavery in the beginning. He was willing to compromise. He was not the radical, uh, uh, the radical side of the Republicans back then that wanted what to remove slavery. He was a mediating ground. But when there was rebellion, did America stand it for? No, no right. Even though the South was using the same argumentation from what the uh, the the war for independence. That is the American what independence. Time period, right? We often call it Revolutionary War. Even though they're using all that, yet what? They would not have that. You guys realize the term United States 
we now use the United States is a country. Back then, sometimes they would use it United States were or are, right? Plural. How do we have that? It was because of the result of the Civil War, okay? Uh, oh, by the way, when you go back history, you'll see mixed, is and all that. But I'm trying to say, some had the idea of like, oh, it's just a confederacy of states. States means country, right? But yet, we don't even tolerate rebellion. How much more so? That's America's most bloodiest war. You guys realize that? Mm. The, the world has had a lot of ugly war. War II was a very bloody war, yes? More people right. get, were killed in World War II than any other war. Mm. Russia suffered the most. You guys know how many people died? 20 million, okay? China, you know how many people China suffered for during those whatever years of war? They say on record it's 3 million, but they estimate it's up to even 10 million, okay? Mm. You think about 6 million Jews wiped out by who? The Nazis, and another 6 million people in the Holocaust camps also as well. And America entering the war, we just barely got what? It's almost like America just, oh, a little scratch for my bike, oh, okay? I'm not, I'm not downplaying the deaths, but when you look at the Civil War, Wow, rebellion couldn't be tolerated. More people was killed then than even during yes. what the time period of World War II. That's to say, not to say World War II, America had it easy, no. But to say how ferocious that is when a country cannot stand rebellion. How much more so when it comes to God, that we rebelled against God, okay? So just don't think for a moment, oh yeah, those empires, they, look, they put down rebellion. Hey, we don't even tolerate as a, a democratic republic, okay? So looking at this, or at least culturally as a you know, national identity, not like you and I individually, okay? So go, going back on with this, okay? We see that we rebelled against God and how gracious God is, that He would still forgive us. Even though we violated the covenant, if we're in marriage analogy, we are unfaithful bride to Christ, even while in the middle of the wedding ceremony, so to speak. And also we are what? Twisted, right? We twist ourselves up. We're demented inside. And yet God changes us, or saves us, and then sanctifies us. Yeah. Pretty good God? Yes. Pretty good Savior? Anyone got a better plan? No. Of course, the gospel is the greatest news ever. Yeah.